Um, so today we're going to talk about policy-based management of hundreds of Kubernetes clusters. Um, and so just so you know who we are, my name is Megan Bruce. I work in product marketing at VMware in our modern app application platforms business unit. And this is Aaron. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Aaron Metzel. I'm a director of product management at VMware, uh, leading the team for VMware Tanzu Mission Control, which we'll go over today. Yeah, so thanks for joining us. Um, before we get started, I just want to do a quick audience poll. Um, so how many of you are running containers on Kubernetes today? Okay, awesome. So pretty much everybody, that's great. So in terms of how many clusters you have right now, just kind of a show of hands, how many of you have more than one cluster that you're running? Okay, how about uh, more than five? Okay, what about maybe 20, more than 20? Okay. Yeah, so it seems like most of you are kind of in that range uh, between five and 20. Is anybody running like more than 100 out there? Wow, how many do you have? Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. Probably around 100. Probably around, <laughs> okay, got it. Anyone more than 100? Can we, be, can we beat him or is he the winner? Okay, I don't, yeah, that's a lot. I don't have anything to give you except, you know, cool, that's great. Um, so the reason I ask that question is that if you're, many of you already have multiple clusters, you're kind of aware of the pattern in which we're moving away from. Um, so early days in Kubernetes, it was kind of more about having one large cluster that you, know, you divided up using namespaces for developers and teams. We're moving toward a pattern and we're seeing a lot of um, organizations start to adopt this, like many of you in the room, where you have a, lar a larger number of smaller clusters, um, because obviously that really reduces your blast radius, among other benefits. But that kind of model of having one large cluster is pretty risky and not very resilient, so we're seeing people move toward that model. But that does mean that you're starting to probably run into some challenges in terms of managing all of those clusters. And so that's a, something we've really been focused on, um, and Aaron, especially on the product side, really been focused on trying to solve that challenge for our customers as to what do you do when you start to have a large number of clusters, especially moving into production, and you need a way to consistently uh, apply policies and you know, make sure your security posture is consistent across all those clusters. So we're gonna dive into um, some solutions that we have for that today. Uh, so quick agenda, we will just talk first about, make you do these agenda slides. <laughs> A little boring, but we're gonna talk first about um, getting into some of the challenges uh, based on what we've been hearing about from our customers working with a lot of very large organizations. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about how we're solving those challenges. We're gonna do a demo. Um, so we do have a product in beta right now that we're excited to show you live today. Um, God willing with the, the Wi-Fi. Um, and we're gonna talk a little bit about kind of how we can help customers start uh, where they are in terms of adopting containers in Kubernetes. Many of you probably, it sounds like how you already have adopted, but we'll talk a little bit about what we're doing in that space as well. Um, and then we'll just provide uh, you know, some additional resources to help you learn more about um, Kubernetes and uh, cloud native technologies. So just diving right in, many of you have already adopted containers in Kubernetes, and you're probably familiar with the reasons why you did that. Um, but to recap what we hear um, from talking to customers every day, so you know, Kubernetes is this technology that really brings together developers and operators. So it's kind of this great unifier and provides great benefits for both of those groups of folks. Um, and one of the biggest benefits, of course, on the developer side is developer velocity. When we talk to customers all the time, everybody wants to accelerate their time to market. That's like the number one thing that 
that they say that they're trying to do, which makes sense. No one wants to like slow that down, but also you need to stay obviously competitive in today's market. And containers and Kubernetes and microservices-based architecture really helps with that. Um, so just a personal story, I'm sure everybody has stories about wanting to speed up velocity, but before uh, I worked at VMware, and before I worked at a startup called Heptio that was acquired by VMware, um, where Aaron and I both worked, I uh, worked at a small startup. And we had a SaaS product, and uh, you know, a lot of customers used it. But the SaaS product on the back end was just a giant monolithic application. Um, and our developers were constantly wasting time, like rebasing every time they needed to check in code. It took forever to try to test. No matter what they did, there was always some sort of edge case that they didn't think about testing, because there were so many dependencies in this monolith. And so we had to have these planned release cycles. It took a while to ship. We had times where the developers were literally just sitting around because they couldn't do anything. And it was really frustrating for them. And our engineering management was like, this sucks. There's a lot of developers that are highly skilled and can't do anything right now because they're just waiting to check in code. So we started about three years ago looking into containers. And Kubernetes was pretty new then, but we were mostly looking at Docker and you know, containerizing our apps and breaking them into microservices. And once we started doing that, it was just kind of like the velocity was really taking off and we were able to ship faster. Um, and one of the biggest benefits also was a lot more collaboration among, develop among the developers. So it was like, oh, I have this service that I developed. Another, another developer could easily take advantage of that service and plug it into their own application. And that helped them move faster. So we were kind of seeing a lot of benefits from moving to that microservices-based architecture, which is what we see a lot of customers doing. Um, ISVs, so it's been interesting to talk to a lot of um, enterprise customers that VMware works with, and most of them are feeling a lot of pressure uh, moving to containers and Kubernetes because ISVs are starting to package their applications in containers, which has a lot of benefits um, for you if you're consuming that application from a third party, because now they have an easier time troubleshooting that for you. It's easier for them to deliver that application to you. It doesn't take as much work on your end to install and configure it. So a lot of great benefits there from the ISV and third-party vendor uh, space, too, that we're seeing that drive some of the pressure for why customers are adopting. Um, and then, of course, the more cloud-like operations, Kubernetes being declarative. Um, most of you, if you're already using it, probably know how great that is. And then better resource utilization as well. Um, so all of these things to say, this is why we're seeing a lot of customers developing and deploying a lot more cloud-native applications. And IDC predicts that in the next five years, there'll be 500 million cloud-native apps developed out there. So what that means, of course, for all of us is more clusters um, that we're going to need to manage as well as all those applications are deployed. So the promise of Kubernetes, um, you know, Kubernetes sounds great. Everybody talks about it being consistent across environments, you know, this wonderful abstraction. But the truth of it is, you know, Kubernetes is really a set of APIs and a database, and you have to do a lot of work to actually get that consistency. So you have to think about things like, um, how are you going to handle access management? Uh, how are you going to handle networking and security and storage? And you have to make all those decisions on your own and set these things up. Um, so this sort of promise of consistency doesn't come out of the box with Kubernetes. And so the, re the growing reality that we're seeing among enterprise customers, and maybe a lot of you are experiencing this today, is that the way we see the kind of pattern of adoption happening in really large organizations that we work with is that it's starting with individual application teams who you know, are feeling that pressure to get to market faster, or maybe you know, they want to modernize their specific app and they want to do that now, and they can take advantage of you know, services like Amazon EKS and just swipe their credit card and get a cluster. 
We see other teams that say, I think I can DIY, I'm gonna roll, you know, we're gonna roll our own Kubernetes, we're gonna bootstrap this. And then yet other teams might be engaging with a vendor and actually getting help with building out their platform. So we see application teams adopting in different ways, and that's kind of adding uh, a lot of fragmentation for companies to manage. And the fragmentation is risky, but it's also inefficient. So it's risky because if that sort of platform team uh, or the team that can help the application teams troubleshoot and really get in there and make it easier for them doesn't have oversight over those clusters or what's going on over there. So they can't really help support. And they also can't do things like help ensure that compliance and security posture that the business needs to be enforced across all of those clusters is happening. Um, and so we see a lot of challenges there in terms of the platform and the IT teams getting a little bit um, nervous about the application teams starting to adopt and not being able to have visibility over that. It's also inefficient in the sense that, you know, we have every application team kind of figuring this out on their own, when a lot of these things could be abstracted to a platform team that could really be thinking about, you know, we can help you make some of these overarching decisions at the infrastructure level or the cluster-wide level about the networking policies, about pod security policies. We can help you set those across all these clusters so that you don't have to worry about it as the application team. And that way the application team can just focus on the apps and the things that they care about, which is like the namespace policies and things like that. So both of those things lead to, you know, really enterprises are looking for a solution to kind of solve for this fragmentation. And if they're seeing that especially as more and more clusters are being uh, deployed, that they really need a way to be able to manage this policy consistently across all those clusters. Um, so just another kind of inefficiency that we see uh, people struggling with is as they, you know, if you're deploying a cloud-native application, often you're deploying maybe copies of that application in different environments. So you might have your, you know, something on-prem and something running on AWS. Um, and if you're trying to basically manage things like access and networking policies and things like that across multiple environments, then you're doing that manually. That gets really cumbersome, especially as that number, again, of clusters grows, because you're gonna have to go into multiple consoles. You're gonna have to do this on a cluster-by-cluster -cluster basis, which is just, again, really inefficient and not saving you any time. And so, of course, then we talked a little bit about the number of apps that are gonna be developed in the next five years. Um, obviously, again, I mentioned this before, but that means a lot of clusters to manage. So all that to say, um, that's something that we have really been focusing on at VMware, as I mentioned before. And what we're focusing on really, um, if you've been following kind of some of VMware's recent announcements, uh, we announced the launch of VMware Tanzu back in September at VMworld US. And VMware Tanzu is really um, a set of a portfolio of services and solutions to help customers and especially large organizations um, and enterprises uh, build, run, and manage applications on Kubernetes. And so we kind of think about this in three layers. So we think about how we need to help customers build modern applications. So what does that mean? It's basically like helping our customers set up what we like to call a modern software supply chain. So how do we help, uh, how do we help developers you know, actually code those cloud-native applications and learn how to do that and adopt cloud-native processes? Um, and then how do we help take that through all the way so that they can just you know, check something in and then it's just shipped and, and deployed and they don't have to worry about that? So we wanna help you solve for things like CICD, things like that. But also, really importantly, we wanna make sure we can help you actually think through whether it makes sense to modernize your applications or not. So another challenge that we see customers struggling with today is, you know, should I, which application should I modernize? What's, what should be my container strategy and where do I start? So that's something that we also uh, try to help our customers and uh, walk them through that process as well. It might not be the right time to modernize every application. 
Um, at the run layer, what we're really working on here is getting to a point where we have a common Kubernetes distribution that works the same across any environment. Um, so we believe in, you know, Kubernetes basically should be like electricity where it's just freely available and it's not different if you consume it from a different vendor or from a different uh, environment because, you know, really it should just be freely available. You shouldn't have to think about how do I manage lifecycle in this platform versus this platform. It shouldn't be different. So that's why we're really working with the community to standardize on cluster API for uh, cluster lifecycle management. And finally, manage is what we're really gonna talk about today, and Aaron's gonna show you a demo shortly. Um, but what we're focused on here is providing you with a single control point for you to manage all of your Kubernetes clusters across all of your environments. Um, so we want you to be able to both provision clusters on AWS and vSphere, for example, from one centralized place, but we also wanna help you manage and operate any of your clusters. So let's say you already have a cluster running on EKS, you should be able to attach that cluster and bring that under centralized management so that you have one place where you can apply policies across all of your clusters. So that's what we're really focused on there in the manage layer. So we're gonna to switch to a demo, um, and Aaron's gonna walk you through uh, Tanzu Mission Control. Great. All right, so enough with the slides. Let's get to the fun stuff. So as uh, Megan mentioned, this is live, so please forgive any slowness. It's not the product, it's the Wi-Fi. Um, so, uh, yeah, so Megan mentioned, right, so Kubernetes provides this really great interface between uh, development teams and operations teams. But a lot of the organizations that we work with are still stuck in these very ticket-driven workflows. What we're doing with Tanzu Mission Control is really providing this single control point to manage Kubernetes clusters across any environment. But we're also focused on um, you know, providing operations teams uh, the right controls into these environments to ensure that uh, you know, the Kubernetes clusters are secure, that they're configured correctly. But at the same time, something that we're super focused on is providing uh, development teams self-service access to this infrastructure and really delivering on one of the original promises of Kubernetes. Um, I'll be driving the demo from the UI, uh, as one normally does, but this is a modern cloud system, so it's driven by APIs, and we also uh, have a, a CLI. Um, so as an operator, um, I can see all of the Kubernetes clusters across my organization, uh, running across many different environments. We can create Tanzu-based clusters directly from uh, Tanzu Mission Control, but as Megan mentioned, we can also attach any um, existing uh, Kubernetes cluster for not only visibility of that cluster, but also control and management of the cluster. So as an operator, let's say I want to provide some new capacity to development team, and I want to create a new uh, cluster. We can currently create a cluster on uh, AWS EC2, but we'll also be adding additional environments, including uh, uh, vSphere via Project Pacific. Uh, this cluster is driven from the underlying uh, open source cluster API technology. So we're gonna provide the cluster a name and add it to a cluster group. Cluster groups enable me to group, uh, just like it sounds, like sets of clusters where I want to ensure uh, consistency in the uh, security or uh, configuration. So I'll add this to the development cluster group I can select my AWS region, uh, select the SSH key. I'm gonna hit next here. So I have a choice of a, a single node control plane development cluster or a three node control plane production cluster. Here I'm selecting a, a, making a development cluster, I'll choose de development. 
And I can also choose, uh, specify the instance type here. So we'll hit next. So across Tanzu Mission Control, we're um, using the concept of labels. Labels are uh, very commonly used within uh, Kubernetes as well as other systems to be able to tag and, and find resources. Uh, we're using a very similar concept here, so I could provide a, a label so that I can easily search and find this cluster later. And this cluster comes with a default node pool. This default node pool has uh, basically one worker node of a certain instance type. Can easily change the number of worker nodes, change the, the instance type, and I can also uh, create uh, additional node pools if I wanted. So then I would just hit, hit create. I won't actually hit create, but if I were, those uh, EC2 instances would come online and the Kubernetes uh, cluster would be provisioned on those resources. This takes anywhere between five and 10 minutes, uh, probably slower here. <laughs> um, so now that we have this cluster, um, you know, as an operator, I'd be responsible for ensuring the, on, you know, the ongoing health of a fleet of clusters. So we're providing some uh, high-level observability metrics that really enable you to understand the health of a large number of clusters at a high level. I can dig in and see quite a bit more information, uh, see some information on the, uh, com the health of the Kubernetes components, the health of the worker nodes. Um, and you know, if there was an issue, say, with one of the nodes, I can easily dig in, see individual you know, information on each of those individual worker nodes, even look at an individual node, understand the node conditions, as well as dig into the workloads that are actually running on the node. As you can see, we're providing pretty uh, high-level health information here, um, but we're really focused on uh, providing integrations into industry-leading monitoring tools. Uh, one of those that we're gonna be doing near-term is uh, VMware has a service called Wavefront. We'll be providing an integration uh, with Wavefront where you can view those high-level metrics uh, directly from Tanzu Mission Control and then jump out to Wavefront with that same context. So now I've created this cluster, this development cluster two. I wanna actually ensure that the rest of my operations team actually has access to this cluster. So as I mentioned, we made this cluster part of the development cluster group. And when we did that, this cluster is actually going to inherit uh, any policies that are set at that level. So for folks that are earlier in their Kubernetes journey, this oftentimes kind of seems like a relatively simple exercise, uh, like providing a team access to a cluster. Uh, but it becomes really challenging as soon as you have, say, 10 or more clusters. You're doing this on a very individual uh, cluster basis, uh, which can be really time-consuming and error-prone. So the, the goal here is really to provide a way to group a set of resources, apply consistency and policy across those resources. Um, so you can see here we have this development cluster group I created the development cluster two as part of that group. And any policies that we set at this development cluster group level will automatically be inherited without having to do any additional work. Um, what we're showing here right now is access policies, um, but we're also building out a much larger set of both uh, Kubernetes native policies, things like network policies, pod security policies, as well as um, policies that extend beyond Kubernetes, uh, things like image registry policies, being able to specify which registries uh, images can be pulled from, um, things like global uh, quota policies, label policies, uh, you get the idea. So um, modern cloud-native applications typically run uh, across 
um, multiple clusters and oftentimes multiple environments. And so one of the things that we're really focused on providing is this application-centric approach. Um, we have this concept called a workspace. A workspace provides an isolated uh, environment across multiple clusters. And for those of you that are familiar with Kubernetes, this is basically a group of namespaces located across one or more clusters. So as an operator, um, you know, I can um, basically create a workspace to provide this self-service access to development teams. So let's take a look at this workspace, um, Acme Fitness Dev Staging. So you can see here, this workspace is made up of a number of namespaces across multiple clusters. I could, as an oper operator, create a new namespace and then hand that namespace over to a development team. But probably more likely what I want to do is actually provide the development team uh, access to this workspace, provide them the ability to have self-service access to create their own resources, to create their own namespaces. And then the beauty is whatever they create, they're beholden to the set of uh, policies and enforcements that I create at the higher level. So a lot of what we're doing right now with workspaces is very much related to uh, policy management and ensuring consistency. But it's a really exciting when we start looking, for instance, at some of the uh, pivotal assets that we're bringing in as well as other technologies. Um, we really see this workspace as a really great concept for uh, enabling consistent deployment of applications across clusters. So in summary, with Tanzu Mission Control, we're able to manage Kubernetes clusters uh, that are running uh, in any environment. Uh, we're really, uh, you know, uh, automating a lot of the manual processes that folks are dealing with today uh, and making things a lot easier. And, you know, imagine the power of this kind of platform when you start thinking about uh, retail or edge locations where you have thousands of locations or um, clusters being offered by a centralized Kubernetes platform team that are uh, being accessed by tens of thousands of developers. All right, let's cut back over. The next one? Yeah, cool. Okay, so um, as I mentioned, our goal with Tanzu Mission Control is really to help you solve for this growing fragmentation um, that we see. So one of the analogies I like to use, um, Kubernetes really allows you to kind of abstract away from individual VMs or individual nodes and operate against a pool of resources. Um, but what we see and you know, evidenced by some of the data in this room is as you continue to create more and more clusters, these clusters tend to be smaller on average. And we're almost back into the world of individual node or individual VM operations. Um, and so what we're really trying to do here with Hanzo Mission Control is provide a way to um, abstract at a higher level and operate against a fleet of resources or a fleet of clusters rather than individual cluster operations. Um, and a lot of times, you know, when we kind of give an explanation of the, I think some folks, you might be sitting there for the folks that said, I have five clusters, and you're like, I don't, I don't need this, I have five clusters. Um, you know, we're really focused on providing the tooling to make it easy for folks as uh, they're beginning their adoption of Kubernetes and not just providing the kind of scale that we see, we do oftentimes see at like large financial services or large uh, retail or healthcare organizations. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, one of the 
key challenges, a lot of times when folks try to solve for fragmentation, they end up just constricting and limiting, right? So um, I have all these uh, you know, developers doing these crazy things, I'm just gonna try to grab hold of them, <laughs> get control, right? And then you lose out on the benefits of self-service access, which is why all of us are here at reInvent, right? And using the cloud. So that's something that's inherent in everything that we're doing with Tanzu Mission Control is really to provide freedom and self-service access uh, for developers while in the same context providing the right mechanisms for operations teams to have the right control. So this is just a visualization of what I had showed in the demo, right? So in the demo we showed applying an access policy uh, to a workspace, which then permeates down into the individual clusters. So instead of the manual uh, kind of cluster by cluster configuration that Megan was showing, this is the experience that we want to provide. A set of policy once, um, and that policy is inherited to a broad set of clusters. Now we're showing four clusters here, um, but when this becomes po really powerful is imagine if you have uh, 40 or 400 clusters, right? You don't have to do these individual cluster operations, but you can automate a lot of these processes. So I showed some of the capabilities in the demo. Uh, this is a little bit uh, longer term view of where we're headed. So I wanna describe a little bit in terms of some of the capabilities that we're gonna be building out over time, as well as describe some of our key design principles uh, for Tanzu Mission Control. So, First, as I mentioned, two ways to bring clusters under management, right? The first is we're providing consistent uh, cluster lifecycle management capability, leveraging cluster API, and we're doing this across environments, uh, including vSphere. You're gonna be able to drive these capabilities, including from, you know, in vSphere, from Tanzu Mission Control to have this central point of control. But we can also attach any existing cluster, right? So if you have um, EKS clusters, uh, if you have OpenShift clusters, uh, clusters on other environments, you can attach them for not only visibility, but also management and control of those clusters. In terms of identity and access, um, you know, here we're really uh, automating a lot of those manual single cluster by cluster applying RBAC that a lot of folks are dealing with and enabling you to uh, assert uh, access control over a fleet of clusters uh, based on the way that your organization is, is mapped and controlled. Security and configuration is a huge focus area for, this, for us. This is where I think a lot of organizations are really excited about what we're doing with Tanzu Mission Control. There's two approaches here. The first is we wanna provide you a way to even understand if uh, your Kubernetes environments are secure and if they're configured correctly. And for this, we're leveraging uh, an open source tool called Sonoboy, which I'll describe in just a few minutes in a little bit more detail. So this is being able to you know, run uh, what we're calling cluster inspections and inspect the cluster against a set of your security requirements or other things like the CIS benchmark or things like VMware's uh, security best practices. So this is a great way to understand, but then on the other hand, we're also providing um, active in-band policy enforcement into these clusters, some of what I showed you in the demo. So focused on things like uh, pod security policies, network policies, uh, quota policies, being able to control the scope of an application or a cluster or a namespace within a cluster. Um, or label policies, you know, ensuring that you actually can tag and uh, uh, organize your resources in a way that allows you to do what you need to do. 
Um, in terms of observability and diagnostics, you know, we're really focused on prov providing these high-level um, health information uh, with the right um, hooks into your uh, monitoring and alerting systems. We also really want to provide integrations with a set of uh, industry-leading monitoring tools over time. We have no intention of building yet another monitoring tool, so don't worry. <laughs> um, in terms of optimization, this is another really exciting area. Um, for those of you who haven't checked out uh, Cloud Health from VMware, it's a really exciting uh, offering, allowing you to really understand the, the cost of an underlying set of resources. And we will be, uh, over time, providing an integration with Cloud Health to be able to um, have uh, understanding into the cost of, for instance, of an application or a cluster, uh, really bringing that Kubernetes native view uh, to understanding the cost of your resources. So that's a little bit in terms of some of the capabilities. I want to talk a little bit about two of the uh, key design principles. Um, the first is uh, extensibility. So as I mentioned, this is an API-driven system. We want and expect you to want to work Tanzu Mission Control into your existing workflows. Um, we, uh, you know, we want to provide an easy path. As I mentioned, we want to provide an easy path for folks that are getting started, and, and we're doing that. But we also see a lot of advanced Kubernetes users that want to take pieces of what we're doing and leverage it uh, with the rest of their workflows. Um, the second key design principle uh, that we've been focused on from the beginning is leverage and contribute back to open source wherever possible. Uh, do you want to go to the next slide, Megan? Yes. So VMware, um, it's actually been an interesting journey for me. So both Megan and I came over from uh, Heptio. Heptio, for uh, folks that don't know, was founded by two of the original co-creators of Kubernetes. And so we were very close to the Kubernetes community from the start. And I think a lot, fear a lot of us had when we got acquired by VMware that, so that we were going to come over and that was like the days of open source were gone, the days of enterprise software were here. Um, but it's been uh, really surprising, uh, really uh, great experience being part of this VMware crew that's uh, focused a lot on contributing back to um, not only the core uh, open source Kubernetes project, but also a set of projects in the community um, that really fill some of those key gaps uh, within Kubernetes. And a couple of those we're really focused on as part of Tanzu Mission Control, bringing those uh, as a service and making those really easy for you to use. Those include tools like Sonoboy. So Sonoboy is known in the community for uh, Kubernetes conformance testing, which basically says, does my cluster look like Kubernetes? Pretty, pretty simple. But it was built to be extensible, and you can write plugins for Sonoboy that test uh, for pretty much any configuration. VMware's investing in a set of plugins around things like the CIS benchmark, uh, different compliance standards, our VMware security best practices, but you can also write your own plugin if you have your own security needs that you want to test against. And with Tanzu Mission Control, we're making it really easy to schedule these cluster inspections across a fleet of clusters, uh, which provides you a really great way to provide this reporting mechanism, uh, for instance, when you need it to your security or your audit folks. Um, Valero is another uh, project that we open sourced uh, at, at uh, Heptio. Valero is a uh, backup and recovery tool for uh, Kubernetes resources. And we're taking a very similar approach. We want to make it really easy to backup and restore um, your uh, workloads across a fleet of clusters. So 
being able to set um, you know, consistent uh, backup locations, schedule backups across a fleet of clusters, set policies for when backups are run, and then also uh, do uh, restore into to, uh, any environment. Um, taking a similar approach with Contour, so Contour is a uh, ingress controller based on Envoy. We're gonna be providing, um, you know, uh, basically manage ingress control into a fleet of Kubernetes clusters from Tanzu Mission Control. And then finally, cluster API is a huge uh, point of focus for VMware, and it's become a huge point of focus for the Kubernetes community. So we're uh, leading a lot of the work here, but our, our goal is really to provide consistent uh, Kubernetes lifecycle management uh, regardless of the environment you're running on. And we're gonna be bringing those capabilities through a lot of the offerings, but we're also focused on uh, making those capabilities available to everyone uh, through open source. Thanks, Aaron. Um, so we told you a little bit about that, and I mentioned at the beginning of this presentation that we are going to talk a little bit about how we're also helping companies adopt and move on to containers and Kubernetes, um, especially with our partnership with uh, uh, VMware Cloud on AWS. So we'll talk a little bit about that, and also I think um, you know a lot of what we hear, and I mentioned this before, but customers are trying to figure out what their container strategy is and how do they start to modernize. Um, and I think uh, VMware, you know, of course, we've had a lot of experience leading com uh, companies through really big transformations, and so we've kind of taken what we've learned and we're putting that into the solutions that we're developing for uh, Kubernetes under VMware Tanzu. Um, but, you know, another big thing that we've talked about, and uh, maybe some of you heard of this, is a project that we unveiled again at, at VMworld this year called Project Pacific. Um, so, is, is anyone in the room, has anyone heard of that project? Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so Project Pacific, just broadly, is our effort to make vSphere, um, it's actually super exciting. What we're trying to do is make vSphere um, more cloud-like in the way that you operate it. And so when we think about how customers might practically start where they are to adopt containers in Kubernetes, we need to make it easier for them to get started where they are. And we know that most applications today are still running on-premise and may still be running on-premise for a long time. So maybe you have business-critical applications that you don't necessarily want to move off of you know, on-prem infrastructure um, for security reasons. So uh, really what we've done with, with Project Pacific is we've taken Kubernetes and embedded that into vSphere, into the control plane, to make it easier to operate. And so you get that goodness of Kubernetes in terms of that declarative management and API-driven workflows to manage vSphere itself. Um, so that's one thing we've done, but the real benefit that we see here for our customers is making it easier for developers to get self-service access to on-premise infrastructure. So for example, um, this chart here shows uh, three services that we're um, going to be providing that developers could be able to access through the um, Kubernetes native API. So for example, with Project Pacific, developers can now hit the Kubernetes native API or kube control, and they'll be able to self -serve uh, get self-service access to conformant Kubernetes clusters, to VMs, and to what we call vSphere native pods, which are um, pods that run directly on the ESXi cluster. Uh, so we're really excited about that because that will significantly help, again, what Aaron referenced earlier, which is companies that need to move off of this ticket-based system and really into more of a self-service model. And that's what we want to enable with um, the changes that we're making to the next release of vSphere with Project Pacific. Um, so we think that this will help customers in terms of moving on to containers and Kubernetes because, again, they don't really have to change their workflows or tooling, and especially if you're using VMC on AWS, which um, I, some of you may be in this room, 
And in that case, you'll actually be able to have this kind of hybrid cloud infrastructure where you're able to decide when you want to modernize and when you want to containerize and when you want to move to the cloud. And you do that when you're ready. Um, so that's kind of what we're thinking through in terms of supporting customers where they are and when they're ready to move. Um, we can help them do that. So um, really what then from there, as customers kind of start on their container journey, we see Tanzu Mission Control, um, just to kind of recap a little bit of what Aaron was saying, but really helping you separate the concerns between the platform team and the application team so that you can be more efficient as a company and you can move faster. So for the platform teams, we see that they'll be using Tanzu Mission Control really to set those cluster level policies. And so Aaron showed a little bit about um, how you can set policies across groups of clusters. That's super cool, right? So if you want policies to apply only for your dev clusters or for your prod clusters, or maybe only your clusters that are running on AWS, you can do that with cluster groups and Tanzu Mission Control. And you can, um, the platform side, you can enforce those policies so that your application teams can then go in and they don't have to worry about those infrastructure level policies because they're already set. And you get that visibility and control because you'll be able to know that those policies are enforced um, using tools like Sunoboy to make sure you're protecting against configuration drift as well. And then you also get the ability to monitor the health of all those clusters from one centralized place with Tanzu Mission Control. So really helping the platform teams focus on what they care about. In that way, you can have the application teams focusing on what they care about, which is more those policies at the namespace level. So as Aaron mentioned, we see a lot of customers that will likely be giving access directly to their application teams, like their SREs for a specific application or those app operators. And they'll be able to go in and actually configure specific policies at the namespace level. And then they can go and give their development teams self-service access to Kubernetes clusters. And they know that that'll be safe and secure. And the platform teams, again, get that visibility at the cluster level. And those app teams get that visibility uh, at the workspace level, which shows them they'll get that view across all the namespaces that are running across multiple clusters that could also be running in different environments. So again, just a way for both of these teams to get more control and visibility over the things that they specifically care about. And that way, you can give the application teams the independence that they need, and they can use the tooling that they need for their specific apps and things like that. Um, but you know, if you're on the platform side, that you uh, were able to set those cluster level policies as well. Um, and then finally, once you get to the point where you're using Tanzu Mission Control, you know, maybe you have five clusters today, or you have 100 clusters today, now you're at a place, if you're using a system like this, where you can scale to n number of clusters, because again, you have a way to enforce those policies consistently across all of your environments. Um, and so Aaron talked a little bit about the other capabilities that we'll be working on, but definitely, you know, capabilities like backup, restore, and migration um, is something that'll be on the near-term roadmap too. And that's something customers are really asking a lot about because they might, you know, they want to be able to migrate resources um, from one cluster to another. Again, especially if you're in that uh, kind of architectural mode where you want clusters to be ephemeral like cattle. Um, so, just a quick recap, so VMware Tanzu, I mentioned it a little bit before, Mission Control is really one of our first offerings as a part of this uh, portfolio of solutions. So stay tuned for more announcements um, about this and happy to answer any questions you might have about some of the uh, other technologies that we um, have been working on. And we, of course, announced our intent to acquire Pivotal. Um, so we'll be you know, kind of uh, exploring how we can work more of the Pivotal offerings into our portfolio of solutions as well. Um, and also we, oh, that's not the slide yet, sorry. 
I was going to tell you to stop by our booth to see an, a demo of that plus all the other technologies, but that's the next slide. Um, so learning more, we have some resources I just want to point out. So these are actually just broadly about Kubernetes. Uh, we launched something called Kube Academy. So for a lot of you folks, it seems like you've already adopted containers in Kubernetes, which is cool. So you probably um, know a good bit already. But Kube Academy is really about being able to access free on-demand training for Kubernetes. So we have 100-level stuff on there. We have 200-level videos. There's not a ton of content yet. We're going to continue to add more and more there. Um, but check that out if you want to get some more free resources and free training, especially for people on your team who maybe need a little bit more uh, training about Kubernetes. Feel free to point them to this. Again, it's completely free. Um, TGIK is something that Joe Beta started, gosh, a while ago. Um, but this is a YouTube series that happens every Friday. So he's one of the co-creators of Kubernetes. Just a cool resource to check out. He just tends to cover topical uh, content every week. We have some eBooks. You can check those out on our website, um, cloud.vmware.com. You can find it there. And then, of course, we have our Twitter handle and all that fun stuff up here, too. Um, and here's the booth slide. So we'll, uh, we have the VMware booth. We're demoing lots of stuff, so definitely pop by. If you have any questions about um, what we showed you today, we're also happy to give you a one-on-one -on -one demo. Um, and yeah, we have some time left, so I thought we would just open it up for questions. We have a couple mics um, in the aisles here. So if anyone has any questions about what you saw or um, just any questions generally about managing clusters, happy to, to take some questions. And if not, that's also fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Yeah, thanks.